Our subject matter this morning is the God who is more than enough. Our text is Psalms 91, and let's begin in the first verse. He who dwells in the secret place of the Most High shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. I will say of the Lord, He is my refuge and my fortress. My God in Him I will trust. Surely or truly He shall deliver you from the snare of the fowler and from the perilous pestilence. He shall cover you with his feathers, and under his wings you shall take refuge. His truth shall be your shield and your buckler, and you shall not be afraid of the terror by night, nor the arrow that flies by day, nor of the pestilence that walks in darkness, nor of the destruction that lays waste at noonday. A thousand may fall at your side and ten thousand at your right hand, but it shall not come near you. Only with your eyes shall you look and see the reward of the wicked, because you have made the Lord who is my refuge, even the Most High, your dwelling place. No evil shall befall you, nor shall any plague come near your dwelling, for he shall give his angels charge over you to keep you in all your ways. In their hands they shall bear you up, Lest you dash your foot against a stone, you shall tread upon the lion and the cobra, the young lion and the serpent, you shall also trample underfoot. Because he has set his love upon me, therefore I will deliver him. I will set him on high because he has known my name. He shall call upon me and I will answer him. I will be with him in trouble. I will deliver him and honor him. With long life I will satisfy him and show him my salvation." Praise the Lord for the reading of his word. Amen. Amen. Let's take some instruction from this text this morning. As the psalmist opens up, he makes these these statements about God. And, And since our study is about the healing heart of God over the last several weeks, we've been looking at the various names that Scripture give us to show us who God is. And when we know the name of God, we get to know God himself personally. We get to know his will, his nature, and his ways. And we, therefore, can begin to respond to him in faith and look unto him with expectation. So just as a point of remembrance, a couple weeks ago, we looked at the seven compound names of God given unto Humanity in the Old Testament, it was Jehovah Jireh, Jehovah Nisi, Jehovah Rapha, Jehovah Shalom, Jehovah Raha, Jehovah Sidkenu, and Jehovah Shama, which means God is our provider, our banner, our physician, our peace, our shepherd, our righteousness, and he is always with us. He's ever present. The word Jehovah means God Almighty, and then the personal name of who God is to us because he personalized it. Whenever there was a problem, whenever the people of God needed him, he personalized his name. He was not just God. He was God known as Jehovah Jireh, God Jireh, our provider. And that made it personal to those who were facing needs. He would provide their needs. He would supply their needs. Okay, when we get... Into the New Testament, Jesus revealed himself because he wanted people to know who he was, why he came, his purpose and his identity with seven great I am statements that are given unto us in the Gospel of John. Now, John's Gospel is unique from Matthew, Mark and Luke. Matthew, Mark and Luke are known as the synoptic Gospels and and they really are historical, but each and every one of them tells a specific story or gives us an attribute or characteristic of God when it comes to redemption and how he interacts and relates with mankind. But John's assignment was different. 
He was called to write about the ministry of Jesus, but he was called to write about Christ, the Son of the living God. And in knowing Christ, the Son of the living God, that we might know him, believe in him, and have eternal life. So here is John's assignment, to describe the indescribable. How would you like that assignment? Your assignment from God is to describe God to humanity. Well, he had some help, of course, the Holy Spirit, who is God, the third person of the Trinity, inspired John to write. But he's taking the story or the narrative from the life of Jesus. So as John was inspired to write about Christ, who is the deity, write about God, the Son of God, so that we would have a record of who the Son of God is, And why he came so that we can believe in him and have eternal life. The Holy Spirit inspired John by bringing this to his remembrance. The seven great I am statements. And just as a point of reference, whenever seven is used in scripture, it denotes completion and perfection. So the seven Names of God redemptively in the Old Testament that I just reminded you of, Jehovah, tell us this is a complete picture of who God is, his nature, his desire, and his will for us. Now we're going to look at seven I am statements about Jesus. He didn't give us five or six, he gave us seven. That's intentional. God never does anything coincidentally or accidentally. This is very intentional. Jesus made these statements, and they're all tied to one of two things, either a miracle that people just encountered or an act of redemption that they just experienced. So each and every one of these seven great I am statements is significant. And what are they? I am the bread of life. I'm the light of the world. I'm the door of the gate. I'm the good shepherd. I'm the resurrection and the life. I'm the way, the truth, and the life. I am the vine. And just so that we understand this, when Jesus said, I am, he's referring to a time where God revealed himself to Moses and Moses wanting to know how does he introduce God to his own people. And God said, Tell them I am that I am. So when Jesus is making these I am statements, what he is communicating is, I am, I'm God. I'm God in the flesh. I'm the promised one. And he did that in order so that people would know who he was, so they could believe in him and have eternal life. So this morning, as we've read the 91st Psalm, we get to a a portion of, of this Psalm in the latter part, and God gives us seven promises to those that set their love upon him. Seven promises. But before we get into these seven promises, let me share with you. When it starts off this Psalm, it starts off with the introduction of once again, who God is. And it's revealed by one of his redemptive names. So let's go back to verse 1 and 2. He who dwells in the secret place of the Most High shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. So let's break this down. Dwelling and abiding is something that we're responsible for. This is our part to play. 
This is our role. Now, what this communicates to me is that we should make God not a a relationship that we check in and out of, but he should be more like a house or a home and not a hotel. That, that we should purpose to dwell or abide or remain or live or have our place of identity and purpose with him. Now, there's a promise tied directly to this, but let's first of all understand our part. Because I believe many of us are aware and many times ask God to do his part But I think sometimes we need to remind ourselves we have to also participate. So as we draw near to him, he draws near to us. As we dwell and abide in him, then there are promises attached specifically to this commitment that we make. And the hotel and the house analogy is easy for us to understand. We check in and out of a hotel. There's nothing personal about a hotel. It's not decorated the way that you want you don't have the curtains, the kitchen. If you have one of those little kitchenettes, it, it's, it, it's not the kitchen of your dreams. But a house, a house is something that's personal. You picked out the furniture. You picked out the drapery. It's something that you're very at home and very comfortable with. So some hotels, you know, just you're just there for a night and then you'll never be there again. And we never want to have that type of interaction or relationship with God where we just check in where we need something. We need him to do something for us. We need to understand that he has done so much for us and we want to live with him. We want to dwell with him. We want to abide in him. And then this produces a relationship or an environment in our heart where we can rely on him to take his place and to do his part. So it says, if... We do this. He who dwells in the secret place of the Most High shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty, dwelling and abiding. This is something that, you know, one leads to the other. And then he says in in verse 2, I will say of the Lord, He is my refuge and my fortress, my God, and Him I will trust. So as we look at the names of God, the Most High, the Almighty, the Lord, the God, God Himself, one really jumps out at me that's unique in that Almighty is the name El Shaddai. El Shaddai, for many of you, you're aware of this, is translated the God who is more than enough. So the God who is more than enough reveals himself to those that dwell under his shadow or draw near to him, abide in him. This Almighty One, the God who is more than enough, Therefore, promises to do seven things for those that have set their love upon him. Set their love upon him means that we have fixed our gaze upon him. The New Testament says, looking unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith. It's important who we look unto in life. And we have to remind ourselves, that God has called us to behold his beauty and to come and to dwell and abide with him. Let's look at these seven promises. Now, of course, verse number three, down through verse 13, describe 
the activity of God in the person's life who is dwelling and abiding underneath his shadow. So God, Jehovah, the great I am, El Shaddai, the God who is more than enough. These are names that we're looking at so that we can know who God is, his nature, his ways, his identity, his will, his purpose, so that we, as his people, can have confidence and assurance that when we call upon him, not only does he hear our prayers, but he responds unto us because of his nature, which is revealed to us once again through his names. The name of God is so important to know his name, to have confidence in his name. Seven promises. Number one, I will deliver them. We know the scripture in Isaiah fifty four seventeen. It says, no weapon formed against you shall prosper. And every tongue that rises up against you in judgment, that would be false judgment, God will acquit or he will justify. And this is the heritage of the people of God. So deliverance. Let's consider deliverance for a minute. Deliverance means that we got ourselves into a dilemma. If you're in a dilemma, you need deliverance. Now, if you didn't need deliverance, you're not in a dilemma. A dilemma means you've come to the end of all of the things that you can try to do to figure out the problem. You've called all your friends. You've read all of the self-help books. Uh, you have, you know, made promises that you'll never do things again. Have you ever used that card? God, if you'll get me out of this dilemma, I'll never do that again. God, if you'll just intervene this one more time, I promise that going forward, we'll never have this conversation again. And so we've negotiated with God. And, uh, but still, we need deliverance. What about the reality of just simply surrendering, submitting, and putting and placing and setting your love upon God because that's what he wants? Why don't we stop the negotiating? Why don't we quit with the pretenses and saying that we'll never do anything again? When I was young and made an absolute statement like I will never, my grandfather reminded me to never say never. <laughs> he said, never say never, son, because the things that you say sometimes you end up doing. I, I you know, I'll never go to college. And the next thing you know, I went to college. I'll never do this. I ended up doing it. So I will deliver them. Now, the story of God with his people is he was a delivering God. Just recount all the numerous times that God intervened when man had no way, where there seemed to be no way. Now, Psalms 91 doesn't have a specific author identified to it. it, it it's interesting. Psalms 90 was written by Moses. And as it goes forward, we can see that most of the Psalms were Psalms of David. And so uh, the theologians have had a little bit of a pickle of trying to understand who penned the 91st Psalm. So some say it was Moses, some say it was David, and some say it was other writers of the book of Psalms. But this is my interpretation of the 91st Psalm. Who wrote it? God wrote it. God wrote it and it fits all of us because I believe 
This is not only one of the most powerful portions of Scripture, but I think it's one of the most revealing portions of Scripture. And if we really allow ourselves to meditate and to consider what's being communicated here, our confidence and assurance in our part to play relationally with God will become clear. We'll know exactly what God requires. What does God require of man? What is his requirement? What is he asking us to do? Is he asking us to to be perfect? No, he's asking us to believe in him and to love him. Those are the two main requirements that God has given unto us, that we would believe in him and in believing him, we would love him and serve him. So how many negotiators have I had in here? You ever negotiate with God? You ever, let's say, God, let's make a deal. Curtain one, two, or three. Uh, and I'll tell you what, and I'll trade in my 1965 Mustang if you'll give me behind uh, curtain one, right? We've all played those those games. We've made promises to God and promises that at the moment we were really sincere about. Maybe there was a moment of, of contrition in your life and repentance. And, and so what you offered up to God because you feel like you needed to make up for the wrongs that you did was a promise. I promise I'll never do that again. I promise. I promise. Because we feel better if we, you know, do penance instead of just repentance. Somehow we feel like, like he accepts our sacrifice. And we, once again, have not really understood his nature, his ways, as revealed unto us through his name. So, how many of you have made promises? Only to find out, wow, I really didn't do too well at keeping my promise. That's okay. We've all been there. Here's what we do, though, with the knowledge that we gain from that. We quit making those kind of promises and we learn how to trust and abide in him. God, apart from you, I can't do this, but help me, strengthen me. If I do fall down, help me to get up again. The righteous may fall seven times, but they'll get up. We've got reason to get up. Plus, we've got someone there to lift us up in that position. I will deliver him. I will set him on high. Uh, This is because they have known my name. Promotion doesn't come from the east or the west. Promotion comes from God. And when you do things as unto the Lord, then he promotes you. Promotion from God doesn't need to be something that you explain. It doesn't need to be something that you feel guilty about because it's his promotion. And he promotes those who have set their love on him. The third is I will answer them. I think one of the greatest days that's given unto us in Scripture is the day that man began to call on the name of the Lord. I, I love preaching that message. It's, it's found in the, in the book of Genesis. And, and man was in a, and mankind overall was in a dark place in life. And, and uh, Adam and Eve, uh, once again, uh, you know, uh, began to interact as a husband and wife. And from that, they had a son named Seth. And it says, then men began to call on the name of the Lord. That new life that came into the earth it caused men to look up and to, you know, help them in the pain of the loss that they had experienced and some of the struggles and troubles that they had. And, 
And God even says, call upon me and I'll show you great and mighty things that you know not. As a, as a reminder, who does God talk to? He, he doesn't talk to know-it-alls. He talks to know-nots. I know not some things, so I call upon the Lord. For those that set their love upon him, they call upon him and he will answer them. I will answer them. I will be with you is the next one. I will be with them. This implies that there's going to be some turbulent and difficult roads to navigate in life. And while we make plans, the Lord does direct our steps. And there are times where we're in the midst of a test or a trial. There's tribulation that's come into our life. And so, therefore, he says, I'm going to be with you. But these beautiful stories in the Old Testament that God was with his people. He was with them in the water. He's with them in the flame. He walked through those seasons with them, and he's still walking with us in those moments. I will be with them. When our heart is troubled, we seem to be perplexed, confused. Why is this happening to me? What brought this on? Is there something I can do to remedy it? Is there some way that this can, this can change? Um, and so we, we go into, you know, figure it out mode. He said, but I'll be with you in trouble. I will be with you in trouble. We know who the troublemaker is. The troublemaker isn't God. But the troublemaker is a part of one that we have to deal with while we're here. But he says, I will be with them. So if God be with us, who can be against us? Whom shall we fear with God on our side? These are the things that the Holy Spirit brings to our remembrance in those moments. Yogi Berra, one of the great philosophers of any generation, said, when you get to a fork in the road, take it. Meaning that there's times in life you have to make a decision. When you get to a fork in the road, take it. And when you're in the midst of a valley and you're looking for a sense of direction, if you set your love upon God, he'll be with you and guide you and direct you. He will be with you. And the next thing is, is I will honor them. We think sometimes of the word favor, but this implies much more than the word favor. Favor means God does for us the things that we can never do for ourselves or would never do for ourselves. And we can find favor with the Lord. Let me say that again. Favor in Scripture is God doing for us what we can't do or what we wouldn't do. Now, let me land on what we wouldn't do for a minute, and then I'm going to go forward. Sometimes we won't do for ourselves because we don't feel like we've been living or behaving in a way that we deserve anything. So we're going to punish ourselves. And even if God wanted to bless us, we would deny it. Anybody felt that way before? God wants to forgive. God wants to bless. God wants to heal. God wants to deliver. That's the healing heart of God. But we don't feel like we're worthy of it because we haven't been living according to a certain standard that religion puts in front of us. And God never put that standard in front of us. That's the ways of man. But because, to a degree, we have been brainwashed along those lines that we wouldn't receive from God even if he showed up with a gift wrap and said, I simply want to give it to you. So favor 
Is God doing for us what we couldn't do? That means opening doors, bringing people across our our path, as well as things that we would never do for ourselves. God is better to us than what we would ever be to ourselves. This is a God who is more than enough. This is almighty. This is how he introduces himself. God is better than what we give him credit for. God is more benevolent than what we understand. God is more gracious than what we've experienced. God is more merciful. God is more patient. He is a God who what is more than enough. Think of Jesus teaching. Given it will be given unto you good measure, pressed down, shaken together and running over. God just doesn't seem to know when the cup is full. According to that particular scripture, it's not full until it's running over. At a restaurant, sometimes when the waitress comes by and she wants to know, would you like to have your drink topped off? Well, what if she sat there and just kept pouring until it overflowed and began to flow on the table and ran off the table and began to get the carpet wet? We would say she doesn't know what she's doing. What in the world has gotten into her mind? But yet, this is how Scripture defines and describes God unto mankind. If it was up to us, we would just take a little bit of mercy. Oh, God, I'll take a little bit of favor. Take a little bit of forgiveness. But no, He pours out of his spirit upon us until we're saturated and he wants us to be full. Full to the place that it overflows out of us onto other people. The only way we can be a blessing is if we're blessed. And according to God, a blessed life is one that's overflowing. Some people ask, oh, God, just enough. Just if you would just give me enough to pay this month's rent. What if God wanted to overflow and you had more than enough for your needs and you were able to help someone else and manifest the love of God towards them with their needs? Is that the God who's more than enough? Is that the God that Scripture describes? But how many of us have limited God because of our Boundaries that we put in front of him. Because God's a gentleman, he'll stop. Whatever you permit, he will permit. Whatever you don't, he won't. And so he says, all right, ask that your joy may be full. What if you ask until joy manifests in your life? What if you ask for something until joy manifests in your life? What if you ask until joy manifests in your life? Not just something that's satisfied. Not that just something that was temporal. What about if you ask and it was so big that only God could do it, therefore God could only get the credit. So this is how God introduces himself. And who gets to know him in these ways? Those that treat him like a hotel or those that treat him like a home? A little feedback. Like a home. I'm at home with God. Becoming more comfortable, more at ease with him. I will satisfy him with long life. The word honor is one that, let me just finish with this one. It means that God prefers us. Which is humbling. Which of course we don't feel we're worthy of. And of course we're not. But that's his choice. That's his prerogative. 
He said, I'll, if you'll love me and set your love upon me, I'll honor you. I'll prefer you. Preference. Preferential seating. You ever gone somewhere and someone says, hey, come join us up front. That's always a humbling thing, but it's also like a note of honor. An example of Charlene and I honoring one another is if she was at the house and I was at work and I said, hey, I'll meet you at the restaurant in 15 minutes. In the course of that promise, I got a phone call and so I'm going to be five minutes late. So I text Charlene and say, hey, babe, sorry, I'm going to be five minutes late. Well, she's on time, shows up at the restaurant. So she's got five minutes in which she's interacting with other people. Could be the hostess. It could be someone she knows. But the moment that I show up at the restaurant, she stops what she's doing, disconnects from the people she's communicating with and comes over and acknowledges me. That's honor. And that's how God treats his kids. For those that set their love upon him, he'll honor them. He'll prefer them. He'll go ahead of them. This, once again, is the God who is more than enough. This is El Shaddai. I will honor them. He says, with long life, I'll satisfy him. I want to share this. If you're not satisfied and you're getting older, then live till you're satisfied. If there are things in your heart to do, and there are dreams and desires that God has put in your heart, don't go home until you have fulfilled what God has put in your heart. Just stay here and keep doing the will of God. Once you've done that, then go home and be with Jesus. But until then, you're needed here. Stay here till you're satisfied. Stay here till you're satisfied. With long life, I'll satisfy him and show him my salvation. This is the last one. Show him my salvation. This means I'll reveal, I'll make known unto them my salvation. Salvation, we'll talk about this in a, in a future message when we talk about the heart of God is the all-inclusive word. It doesn't just mean the forgiveness of sins. While it includes that, it's much more broad than that. It also includes deliverance and safety and preservation and soundness of mind and healing. All of those are included in the word salvation. So this is what God said. If you would set your love upon me, you will get to know me in a way that I am the God who is more than enough, even in times when you feel unworthy and you don't feel like you qualify because of who I am, my nature, that my name revealed to you, I will do these things for you. I will is the strongest statement in the English language. I will. Every single one of these statements, and I want you to listen to them again, is a promise. I will deliver them. I will set them on high. I will answer them. I will be with them. I will honor them. I will satisfy them with long life. I will show them my salvation. This is God revealing himself as El Shaddai, the God who is more than enough. Thank you for listening to today's message. We hope that it encouraged or inspired you to God's best. If you have any questions about today's message, need prayer, or would like to learn more about Living Word Fellowship, please call 641-828-7119 or visit us at lwfknoxville.com.